Hey, everybody. Thank you. Thank you very much. This side of the room is happy I'm here, so. Thank you. There you go. Okay. So believe it or not, I'm going to open my message tonight once I get to that uh, by looking at Proverbs chapter one. So you can turn there and that's where we will begin. That's where I'll start my reading. been praying for you all, and I've been praying about what the Lord is sending me here to say. And as I continue to do that, I believe that things started to gel in my heart this afternoon as I was praying for you. And I believe the Lord is really honoring your sacrifice and honoring the way you allow your hunger to create pursuit for him. And to value his kingdom the way one would value a treasure hidden in a field. And so I just believe there's some things that I'm supposed to say that will be the beginning of answers to your prayers. And I'm not saying my teaching or my being here is the answer to your prayer. I don't say that. I don't mean that. God's just going to answer your prayers, but I believe I'm going to give some expression to what he's going to do and uh, what you can expect. Just as the summer is now yielding to the fall, so is the season changing for you all. You're coming into a new season. And that season is going to be characterized by what the scriptures call wisdom. So wisdom is my theme. It's a massive theme. I will only scratch the surface in spending three sessions with you um, and teaching and preaching on this. But uh, the surface we will scratch together. It is a massive topic, but we're going to dive into it today and talk about what it means to have wisdom, to be wise, at least a few things about that. This is one of the most precious Virtues or elements to kingdom life, wisdom. It's far, far more important than we, I think, we understand instinctively. Wisdom is reserved for the revelation of God. Only God can give true and ultimate wisdom. Even the smartest people who ever lived, the greatest scientists, medical doctors, farmers, I mean, engineers, whatever the field is, even the brightest and the best and the most genius people, if they don't fear the Lord, they're not wise. And they don't have wisdom for life. At the same time, I've noticed that it's one of the greatest needs of the church today is to obtain wisdom from the Lord. So it's something only he can grasp as we will, uh, only he can give. And we can only grasp by God's granting us wisdom. And that's something we're going to talk about further. But I found this virtue, this element of kingdom life 
called wisdom. Uh, I found it sorely lacking in the church. And I want you all to be people of wisdom. I pray for you in Jesus' name that God would stir your hearts, that you would seek to be wise, that you would seek to be steeped in the scriptures, that Paul says, give the wisdom that leads to salvation. You know you need wisdom to wind up getting saved? Someone, no matter what their intelligence level in the natural, that doesn't matter. But someone who's hearing the gospel and considering getting saved, that's because wisdom's entering his or her heart. There's some wisdom getting in there, coming from the scriptures and the Holy Spirit, if someone's preaching and teaching. So then that person obtains this wisdom and says, man, now I hear the truth. I know where I stand. I know what God is about. I need to give my life to Jesus so that I can be saved. That person, wisdom came before salvation. And I'm, I'm alluding to 2 Timothy 3.15. That Paul was encouraging Timothy to search the scriptures. That, or he knew the sacred writings from when he was young. And he came to, to realize that those writings granted the wisdom that led to salvation and eternal life. Wisdom is foundational to everything in the kingdom and in all of eternity. So I pray that you become hungry and thirsty for wisdom. I pray that God grant you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, which is a prayer in Ephesians 1, isn't it? Pretty important. Paul prays the same thing in Colossians 1, or something very similar. I can remember speaking about that passage up here at some point in our history together. Paul prayed that you and I, and the churches, of course, for whom he was praying, that, that we would be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that we may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Guess what? I don't care how Christian you are or how Christian you think you are. If you and I don't have wisdom, we will walk unworthily of the Lord. We are commanded to be disciples and to be discipled, to learn from Jesus, to obtain wisdom. I believe your fasting and prayer and your faithfulness coming up to this point in your history is leading you into a season of wisdom. That's the theme that I have over my, my three sessions with you. That God is leading you into a season of wisdom. And what characterizes wisdom is a people willing to learn at the feet of Jesus. Asking God for more wisdom and more knowledge in the scriptures. And therefore, and thereby, in the spirit, becoming great. Like God made David one of, the, one of the great men of history. The scripture says like one of the, the, the great ones, the noble ones throughout history. I believe that God intends for his church to shine like a city on a hill. So that if people outside of the church need real solutions to real life problems, they will see the church blazing with the truth 
of biblical wisdom in the power of the Holy Spirit. Wisdom will make us the people that God intends for us to be. The wisdom of the scriptures make us blaze with fiery glory and truth so that people who are truly broken and demonized and oppressed, people with serious fundamental life problems will find those problems answered by a people who not only understand the wisdom of the gospel of Jesus Christ, but embody it together in the way that they live. So I believe during this season you're about to enter, and by the way, I believe this season will last until Jesus comes. God is granting you wisdom that you've been praying for, even if you don't realize you've been praying for it. And God will grant you favor to hunger for wisdom and receive it. Because the scripture's clear. If you want it, cry out for it and seek it and you will get it. In fact, God will give wisdom liberally to those who cry out for it. According to James or Jacob chapter one, right? He gives liberally wisdom to those who ask for it was one of my first and fundamental prayers when I was a very, very young believer. I did not know a thing at all. And I was reading the scriptures and it it felt like sometimes it would just bounce off my forehead. Didn't even make it to my eyeballs. I had no idea what I was reading. Partly the, the language of the translation I was reading was a little bit new to me. And I was just a high school kid and I'm reading this highfalutin Elizabethan English that was part of the problem. But the other part of the problem is I was so naturally minded. I was so carnal. I was so, I don't know, used to watching Popeye cartoons or something. You know, I wasn't used to the language of wisdom, the rich words of God himself. It was foreign to me. But you know what I did? I stinking tried. That's what I did. I'm serious. I'd sit on the side of my bed. I'd kneel down at the side of my bed with my Bible open in front of me. And I would fight mentally and emotionally like a dog to try to understand what this book was saying and to ask God to give me wisdom. And I'll tell you something. It did not come quickly and it did not come easily. So I didn't have wisdom to speak of, but I did. It was called the hunger for wisdom. That's what the scripture says. The This is one of the things Proverbs says is the beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. To reduce that a little bit, try. Hang in there. Keep seeking, keep digging. I'm telling you that the the wavelength of, of scripture and what the spirit was saying and the wavelength, the frequency where my brain was, they were not matching. They were not in tune. But I was trying and sometimes I'd wake up Hours later, in the middle of the night, all the lights on in my room, I'm by my bed, my legs are asleep, my Bible's open. It's like I can't even remember falling asleep. I was just crying out and reading for, for, for understanding. And it just, I, I, I didn't get it, but it, it, I had hunger. And I believe you're entering a season where that hunger is going to rise. And you know what? You should make it rise. We should be people just absorbed in the word of God and in prayer and in fellowshipping with one another. And let's just dig in and do this thing. Anyway, in my perusing of the Bible during this season, this season of youth 
and immaturity and ignorance, I came across this passage in 1 Kings chapter 3, where Solomon is elected by David and by God to be king. And so he prays a prayer. That's in 1 Kings chapter 3. And he says, Lord, I'm only a youth. I'm young. Your servant is young. And judging this people is too great a task for me. I'm, I'm really paraphrasing, but you get the idea. I'm too young. I don't know anything. And your people are great. Who can judge this great people? Who am I to be elected by you to, to judge, to rule this great people of yours? He understood the gravity of the situation. It was beyond him. And God's people were too great. They were too precious to be ruled by this little ignorant boy in his own mind. So he said, give me an understanding heart. That's the one thing I ask for. Give me an understanding heart so that I can judge your people. What a response to being chosen to be king. It didn't wind up this way later for Solomon, but what an expression that at the time was very sincere, an expression of humility and dependence and need and realization that I don't know what I'm doing, but I'm going to ask God that he'll give me understanding so that I do. And the Lord's response was, it says the Lord was pleased with Solomon because he prayed for that. It pleased the Lord that Solomon asked for wisdom. He didn't ask for wealth. He didn't ask for victory over his enemies. He didn't even ask for a long life. He just asked for wisdom. And it pleased the Lord. And I remember reading that thinking, well, I don't, I don't understand what Solomon's asking for. I don't get this. Stories like this and kings and great people and discerning hearts. I mean, blah, 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 blah. I don't get any of that. But I get this. His prayer pleased the Lord. So I said, I want to do that. I want to do something that pleases the Lord. So I would just read that prayer, having no idea what I was praying. I'd say, Lord, give me an understanding heart. Give me a heart that understands. <laughs> praying the scriptures in my little minimal way, limited just say, Lord, give me an understanding heart. I want to please you. And, it, and it, you know, the, the passage goes on and God commends him. And it says, you didn't ask for wealth, long life or victory over your enemies, but I'm going to give you all three because you asked for something that's such a blessing to me. And I wanted to target the same thing. Now, I can't sit in front of you or stand in front of you as I am in my mid fifties and say that now I have all this great understanding and wisdom, but I do believe it's something that God has granted me and has granted me with increase so that I can talk about wisdom to others. So I may not know it all. I may not even know as much as I should, but I know enough to be able to stand before great people like you and share about wisdom. Now that it's 40 years later, a whole generation later, God answered that prayer. I want you to pray that prayer. I want you to enter into greatness in the glory of God. Not your own personal selfish greatness, but the greatness of being inhabited by God and being people of great wisdom in your city and in your region in Jesus' name. And it's a season for that. You've been studying Ephesians. Ephesians is 
a message of wisdom. Paul prays at the beginning of Ephesians that the churches would be granted the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. How many of you notice the order of that? Wisdom comes before revelation. It's not popular to ask for wisdom first. We want revelation. Show! Shandai! Give me revelation, God. I want dreams. I want visions. Amen. That's all precious. We're told to, to pursue those things. But wisdom is first. And if we target wisdom, we target God's heart. To the only wise God be glory and honor and dominion and authority. The wise God. First, Paul prays for the spirit of wisdom. Then revelation comes. Heaven help us if we're full of revelation, but not wisdom. We would lose our minds. We become the carnal, flaky, celebrity-oriented, charismatic church, fascinated with celebrities and just the pizzazz and not the depth of integrity and reality and power that come with wisdom. Wisdom is always first. It's not popular on earth. But it's very popular in heaven. On earth, people don't flock to wisdom conferences. But in heaven, standing room only, line out the door. And the conference hall in heaven is really big. But they love them some wisdom up in the heavenly palace. Well, you know what? If we want to be people that rank with them, come on, guys. If we want to be the council of Yahweh on the earth then we pursue wisdom too. Come on now. We're not duped by any carnality in the church or by the world's wisdom that's really foolishness outside the church. We're not going to be under the influence of any of that. We want to be under the influence of God, Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the Word of God. We pursue wisdom first. In the list of gifts, and I know I'm getting ahead of myself, you don't know that, so why do I have to mention that? Not very smart. The list of gifts in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. What's the first charismatic gift listed? Word of wisdom. First. The greatly coveted tongues, which we should be doing every day. Eighth out of nine. Prophecy, number six, also greatly coveted. The first one, the message of wisdom. It's first because it's determinative of the rest. You got people flourishing in prophecy, flourishing in tongues and interpretation, and no wisdom. They're going to be everywhere. They're going to be demons prophesying, and we won't even know it because we don't have wisdom. Right? That... Um, the fortune-telling girl, Matthew, uh, Matthew, Acts 16, prophesying these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way of salvation. That's a demon. And you know what? It was accurate. The content was true. People try to find ways it kind of wasn't true. It was true. Demons will prophesy. How do you know the difference? Wisdom. Right content, wrong spirit. These tricky little slimy things will say the right things, 
but the wind behind it, because spirit, wind, they're blowing you in the wrong direction. So Paul prayed his churches would have the spirit of wisdom and of revelation so they can cut through what is true from what is kind of true and from what is false. The whole spectrum, wisdom can discern it and isolate the truth. So powerful. May God grant us wisdom. Wisdom is first. In Ephesians, Paul prays for the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. That's Ephesians 1. In Ephesians 3, the church should embody the manifold wisdom of God. To the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. That's how important the constitution and identity of the church is. That when she is what she's supposed to be, she would embody how awesomely wise God is and what he did in Christ's life, death, resurrection, and ascension. And now the creation of the church after the outpouring of the spirit. What needs to be displayed? Wisdom. Not silliness, not flakiness, not shallowness. Not impressing the world. Wisdom should be displayed by the church to the heavenly beings. You think the demon powers that rule regions are moved even one iota by a special speaker? Or more talent? Or a social media presence that impresses all the people and sells books or whatever else happens? You think the powers of the air are moved by that? No, they're only moved when the people of God on the earth embody the wisdom of God in the heavens. How are we ever going to get that wisdom if we don't seek it in the scriptures and pray for it at the throne of God? That's in Ephesians 3. You guys have been going through Ephesians. Ephesians has a lot to say about wisdom. The other references in chapter 5 where Paul says, do not be unwise people, but be wise people. He says that's all the people that are listening to this letter being read in Asia Minor, most of whom couldn't even read. Most people couldn't read in Paul's day. At the most, at the most, probably 15% of the people were literate in Paul's day. It wasn't even easy to get books. They always had to listen. They had to listen and learn and pray, listen and learn and pray, listen and learn and pray. This was so powerful about church. In that day and in our day, there's always, if it's good, there's always teaching, people learning, if it's all done honestly and purely. It's powerful. Thank God for good churches that really teach and and preach, and the people absorb it and take it. In any case, when they're listening to this, it's, it's people of all levels of intellect, education, from the elite who could afford to go to school. Jesus called them the scribes who become uh, disciples of the kingdom. And then there's the, the people that just work day jobs and kept house. Whatever they did, they're all listening to this. And Paul's saying, don't be unwise. Be wise. Live life well with God's wisdom. Make the most of your time. The days are evil. Come on, sober up. Sharpen up. Have a sense of eternity, of judgment coming. Have a sense of God's requirements. Pay attention. Keep your nose in the scriptures. 
Don't be fooled. Be sharp. Be on top of things. Be wise. Don't just float. Don't let these undeveloped aspects of your character just keep floating around unattended. Don't live that way. Don't be foolish. Paul says, be wise. That's the season you're in. Your pursuit has proven you wise. Your pursuit and where you've come to this point has proven you wise. But wisdom always says this. I want more wisdom on the next, the next section of my journey. That's what wisdom is. It's always learning more. The beginning of wisdom is acquire wisdom. Always growing in discernment, in the scriptures, and then in the knowledge of God. That's the people of God. You're coming into a season where God says, okay, you've proven yourselves wise. Now we're going to get more explicit about it. You're going to be people of wisdom. Not by the world's standards, but by heaven's standards. I see you all shining with wisdom. I can see you perusing and understanding the scriptures. I can see God breaking through and opening the eyes of your hearts. I can see you being people of depth and character and authority when you speak the gospel, when you share the gospel, when you give a prophetic word to somebody, when you pray and lift up your voice. I see you praying with skill and insight as well as passion. I see a move of God. I see an outpouring, but I also see a people who are worthy of carrying it past its season. Revival is seasonal. God's people endure. So they say, I'm wise. I know moves of God come and go, but you and I don't. So I'm going to take what God's doing and take it into the next generation. Even if it's not as clearly coming dramatically from heaven, I will be wise and carry this through like a light on a hill to the next generation and in my city. I see people who are full of the spirit of wisdom and of revelation. <clears throat> now would be a good time to read some Bible. I promised you Proverbs, so we should look a little bit. <clears throat> We've alluded to some scripture, though, haven't we? Make me feel better. Proverbs 1.1, these are the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel. This, that's, that in itself is significant. We'll circle back. The son of the king, another king. His name is what? Solomon. Shulamo. Peace. That's important. Why are these Proverbs written? Verse 2 tells us. Verse 2 begins the list. These Proverbs are in order to know wisdom and instruction, to discern the sayings of understanding, to receive instruction in wise behavior. How many of you know that real wisdom is something that enters the heart, but it must be incarnated by the way we live? That's what wisdom is. It is a way of life. These Proverbs of course, all of scripture can say this, but these proverbs are written to this end to receive instruction in wise behavior, in righteousness, justice and integrity. 
They are written in verse four to give prudence to the naive. I gave you a testimony about that, didn't I? I was as spiritually naive as I could be. I used to beg God for signs and wonders to help me believe. He would not grant them. So I, I kept at it and I cried out for wisdom. It pleased him. Shallow people need the pizzazz to keep them, to keep the spiritual dopamine pumped so that they'll remain interest, interested. That's shallowness. Wisdom stays the course with deep roots. It's unmoved. That's wisdom. What, what does wisdom do? It builds a house with pillars. It ain't going nowhere. And that's what God said to me. I didn't hear him say it, but I hear him saying it now back to my old 16, 17 year old self, my old bad self. He says, when you ask for miracles and you get them, it'll make you shallow. When you ask for wisdom, I'll give it to you. Hang in there. That solid foundation of your faith will grow. It'll come. That's the good way. That's the good way. Now, I can be a pretty dramatic, emotional person. I'm glad God did not accommodate that lust to have my immediate sensations satisfied so that I would believe more rather than develop something deep inside of me that will last. I'm glad he did that. How many people know God's a better father than we are to ourselves? So he gives prudence, these Proverbs in verse four, to give prudence to the naive, to the youth, knowledge and discretion. The youth, they're one of the main groups that these Proverbs are written to. Maybe Ecclesiastes is a little more college age. Though all of it's for everyone, you understand. We're all, I'm reading it. <laughs> Job is really for those maybe graduate school, the graduate school of life. Job is written for those that read Proverbs and they say, look, I believe your Proverbs, Lord, but it's not happening right now in my life, what it says in Proverbs. That's what Job is for. Sometimes the basic blessing, the ratio of walking in integrity and being blessed, one-to-one ratio, sometimes that doesn't happen. So then you got Job. Wisdom, growing it. Anyway, young people, this is... This is for you. Don't waste your young years. Get deep, deep, deep foundations. It is weak to be so easily tantalized by the world when eternity is hanging over our heads. The younger you start, the deeper you go. Don't waste your young years. And I know that there's some people who maybe have a little age in this room who would say, he's telling you the truth. Don't waste your young years. So this is for the youth to give them knowledge and discretion. In verse 5, a wise person will hear and increase in learning. Come on. And a person of understanding will acquire wise counsel. There are few things wiser than a teachable spirit. And there are few things nastier than an unteachable spirit. Proverbs says, don't even waste your time with them because they will make you like them. So be teachable. You're in the season of that. 
which will last forever now. So these are written in verse six to understand a proverb and a saying, the words of the wise and their riddles. The fear of Yahweh is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So it all begins with a relationship with the Lord. Reverence, awe, and covenant loyalty. That is the first step of wisdom. And if we increase in the fear of the Lord, we increase in wisdom. I want to keep reading down in verse 20. Wisdom shouts in the street. She raises her voice in the public square. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the gates in the city, she declares her sayings. How long, you naive ones, will you love simplistic thinking? How long will scoffers delight themselves in scoffing and fools hate knowledge? Turn to my rebuke. How many people know wisdom gives rebukes and wise people receive rebukes? They don't get mad when they're rebuked and say, why are you rejecting me? Rejecting you. Correction is, is the love of parents to children. In Hebrews chapter 12. Right? Don't despise the Lord. He alludes to this passage. Don't despise, don't, don't despise the Lord's instruction, his correction. The Lord, the Lord chastises every son he receives. Not in a mean spirit. But he cares that if there are elements to our character that are out of line, he loves us enough to correct us and risk us getting a little pouty about it. He says, I'm preparing you for eternal glory. I love you enough to do that. If I weren't correcting you, I wouldn't be loving you. Don't despise my correction. Because it may be unpleasant in the moment, it says. But ultimately... It yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness so we can share in the holiness of God. So wisdom makes itself public. It's accessible. And it says, turn to my rebuke. You're better off experiencing a little unpleasant moment than a lifetime of misery because someone was unwilling to correct you and me and we were unwilling to receive it. It's not worth it. Some terrible problems occur later because simple things weren't corrected earlier. And wisdom is like, I've been shouting this to you when it was early enough. Listen, because if you don't listen, one day you'll cry out to me and, and I will not listen to you. It says that later in the passage. I wasn't going to read that because I don't want you to know it. Just kidding. I just said it. Let's put it all out there. Turn to my rebuke. What a powerful statement. Lord, help us. Some of us are so easily offended and others of us are so prideful that when we receive a rebuke, when it's needed, it's, it's hard to take. Come on, man. Let's, 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 let's get ready for eternal life and let's, let's let the Lord develop us so that we're wise and powerful in our generation and in our city. And look what's next. I mean, you see it on the screen there, I guess. It's the next part of the verse. Turn to my rebuke. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. Now, what do you think about that? That's the first Pentecostal language in Scripture. The first time there's this the spirit being promised that he'd be poured out. And it's coming from wisdom. The first 
mention of the outpoured spirit is in Proverbs. An element of the baptism of the spirit we often miss. Paul prayed, as we mentioned earlier, that in Colossians 1, that we would be filled. That's Pentecostal language. With the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So being baptized in the spirit means to have wisdom. That's part of it. The power and wisdom are, are, are braided together. You can't be baptized in the spirit and be stupid spiritually. The baptism of the spirit makes us spiritually intelligent. Aware. And if it doesn't, then there's something wrong with our baptism. We need more gospel, more Bible, more prayer and laying on of hands. It says, turn to my rebuke. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. The word of God becomes brighter and clearer when we are filled with the spirit, having turned to the rebuke of the Lord. It's one of the steps toward Pentecost and being filled with the spirit is being willing to be corrected. To allow the Lord to say, even in the initial general way, repent. And then we do repent. We turn to his rebuke and he pours out his spirit. Some of us may be hindering the baptism in the spirit simply because we're not open to correction. We're not humble enough to say, I was wrong. I need to change here. God, I come to you. I come to your rebuke. And what does he do? Just keep rebuking you? No, what's next? He pours out his spirit, life and glory and refreshing. That's not an angry father who's just over-disciplining. He's saying, if you're wise enough to receive rebuke, I will fill you with divine life. And you will know my word. Very refreshing, positive promises. Solomon is the one who wrote these proverbs. Others, we, we read in them that he collected them because it mentions that and there are other authors King Lemuel, other people are quoted in Proverbs. So Solomon wrote them and he collected them. He was a man of wisdom. Because after Israel came into the promised land through warfare via Joshua and then established themselves later through more warfare being led by David before he was king and then after he was king. Once Israel was established in the land... Solomon became king, whose name means peace, because he was the king that represented their rest. They're established. They're in their land. Their enemies are outside their borders at bay. They're victorious. They've come into their inheritance. They've come into their promises. So they're led by a king named peace. They're at rest. Because the nature of that season in their history, was to obtain wisdom. It was a mark of their being established as the kingdom of God on earth. So it's a season for wisdom. And Solomon, their king, the son of David, was characterized by wisdom. It didn't last, which should be a, a tale of caution for us. But at, at the time... In his heyday, he was a man of great wisdom. The prayer was answered. And if you keep reading after 1 Kings 3, I referred to before, it was the, there comes the story soon after when the two women bring the baby and he says, divide the baby. And he finds out who the real mother is. And he says, ah, the man knows how to judge. He's got wisdom. I mean, that's not necessarily what you do to every situation. 
but he, knew, he, he was sharp. The queen of the south came many miles to hear the wisdom of Solomon, to see the blessing of wealth that was on his life. And she said to me, the half has not been told. People came from all over the world to hear Solomon speak about all kinds of topics because it was a season and he was he, he kind of typified the expression, but it was a season of wisdom. Israel was meant to embrace its season of learning wisdom. Because all the promises of entering the land had been fulfilled. They were at peace with their enemies because they had been defeated and subjected. The borders were broader than, than usual. So they were established and they were successful. They were a city on a hill. God was blessing them. Solomon had massive wealth. And does something need to happen? What was that? Just a flickering light. I didn't know if that meant the party's over. Okay. Thank you for, thank you for your sermon, brother. Click, 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 click. <laughs> I see the flickering. I see that Chad is no longer sitting up front. He's in the back. <laughs> we got it, wise boy. We're done. <laughs> Israel was supposed to come into a very deep supernatural discernment at this stage of history. It was a time. That's why they were at rest, because it was time to peruse the scriptures and pray on a deeper level. Now, instead, they strayed into idolatry, but there was a remnant who kept in season, according to what I'm saying right now. The promises are fulfilled, and God is clearly blessing them. He's blessing the seasons. The rains are coming at the right time. The crops are healthy and abundant. The, the things we read about in Proverbs are true. If you, if you submit to God, if you watch your mouth, if you walk in righteousness, he will bless you. He will give you the wealth that you need. They were experiencing this. And like Solomon in Ecclesiastes, he said, I've given myself every pleasure. I maximized my wealth. I sought to extend the borders of what it means to live life happily on earth. And here's my conclusion. Life is futile. And that's the end of my sermon. Thank you, everyone. Good night. No, I'm not going to end on that note. Because beyond Proverbs was Ecclesiastes that comes to the conclusion, you know what? As long as there's death, life is vanity. Now, he doesn't wind up pessimistic. It sounds it, but he's really not. He says, so the key is love, you know, fear God, keep his commandments. He keeps us there. He does not despair of God. He just says, you know, there's something going on I don't understand. That even when God blesses us, you know, he maxed out pleasure. He maxed out wealth. But even when I'm fully blessed, there's something at the edge of my experience at the cliff. There must be more. And I can't see it. And wisdom brings us there. And Israel was meant to come into this season of rest and searching wisdom, experiencing God's blessing where the queen of the south comes and sees the massive blessing of wisdom and the supernatural endowments of God and wealth. And Israel's experiencing the, 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 the wealth of the nations and the wealth of the heavens and God's favor. 
And she was meant to come into the season of wisdom and say, you know what? We've maxed out God's blessing. Something's missing. There's something wrong because people die. So that discernment was meant to turn into a prayer meeting to pray for a greater redemption. And it was in that spirit, the remnant remained and the prophets prophesied, Peter tells us. The spirit of Christ was within them, predicting a time when the Messiah would come and actually give us real wisdom, the wisdom of the gospel and real life that comes from the outpouring of the spirit, eternal life where even the dilemma of death is solved. So this season of wisdom into which you are coming is going to drive you to a place of discernment joyfully and prayer so that you and I, I speak of you all now, will see things with clarity and be able to pray with urgency for your own lives and for this city, the things that really need to be prayed. Because wisdom sees the max, it, it sees the, the exhaustion of human endeavor. And once it gets there, it really begins to cry out and see God work. The church rarely goes to those boundaries. God bringing Ezekiel all around the valley of dry bones. I mean, it's one thing just to stand in one spot and look at all these skeletons. It's another thing to be given a tour and to, to show Ezekiel, God showing Ezekiel, they're beyond dead. They've been completely decomposed and their bones aren't even together. They're scattered. Can these bones live? He's at the end. This is wisdom working. He's at the end of himself. And he says, Lord, you know, it's a simple prayer. He throws it back on the Lord. And then the Lord responds, prophesy, we're going farther. Your humility is your wisdom. You're it turned into dependence upon me. You've evoked something out of my mouth. I'm telling you to prophesy. Now that's a healthy prophet getting exhausted by the despair, turning to God and God says, now prophesy. Now we're together on this. Now you're my vessel. You've used wisdom to go to the end like Ecclesiastes. You come to futility. You've turned it back on me. You prayed the way you should. And now I'm going to teach you something glorious you never expected. Resurrection power. To me, resurrection power is the expression of real wisdom. I want to be wiser than I am right now, man. Wisdom says, turn to my rebuke. I'll pour out my spirit on you. It's like, there's a key to Pentecostal power. It's wisdom. Real humility, real sacrifice, really going to the end, really praying all the way at the edge of ourselves. That's wisdom. That's Jesus in the garden. Jesus, so exhausted in the pain and what's coming in this dark exchange. If there's any other way, let this cup pass. I mean, that's not the prayer that God would answer. It wasn't a wrong prayer. Jesus was just being honest and wasn't speaking disrespectfully. But the father didn't want the cup to pass. But Jesus is just showing you this is, this is a time of weakness. I'm in full dependence on the Father. So what do you do at a time like that? You pray, but you don't just talk pray. You pray from your guts. You, you pray from your viscera. That's wisdom going all the way to the end. Staying sober, realizing what's ahead of him. Father, if there's any other way, but not my will, but yours be done. And Father answered that prayer by getting him through what he went through and then raising him from the dead. Wisdom is taken to that place of prayer. 
and it prays there and it sees God shake heaven and earth and everything else that needs to be shaken. We have a tremendous need for wisdom in today's church. As I said before, it's the least attended virtue. It's the least attended conference, if there is even a conference on wisdom. Because a conference on wisdom would just confront people with the cross, and that's not always popular. Wisdom is apostolic. It is fundamentally apostolic. Apostles are people of wisdom. They're not people of popularity. They're people of wisdom. They see the mystery, the mystery of the kingdom, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the church. They see it, and they plant and work accordingly. And they establish the tone of every church that they establish because they do it in wisdom. 1 Corinthians 3.10, Paul was a wise master builder. Apostles are not people who are just strong leaders who are at the top of a food chain in a megachurch. In fact, real apostles aren't at the top of the pyramid. They're at the bottom. They lay foundations because that's wisdom. Because an apostle says, I don't care what kind of fame or wealth that I have. I care that the people of God are planted and healthy. So I do that on the dirt level. The church must be apostolic in order to be wise. And in order to be wise, she must be apostolic. That's one of those things you're not going to remember I said later. Not because it's so wise, but because it probably didn't mean anything. It's a little trick. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just joking. I just heard myself say that and I thought, man, I'm... That may not be very clear. Forgive me. Wisdom. I mean, you read 1 Corinthians. I just cited 1 Corinthians 3. 1 Corinthians 1.17 all the way through chapter 4 is all about wisdom. And Paul said, as an apostle, I came with a gospel that is wisdom. Now, remember, wisdom looks completely absurd to the world. Amen. Amen. But Paul said, I determined I wouldn't know anything else. What do you think about that? First Corinthians chapter two. I determined that I would know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and this one crucified. A crucified Jew, Paul says, is the risen and exalted king. It just doesn't look right. It doesn't look wise. It doesn't look honorable. It looks ugly and shameful and foolish. Paul says, I'll own that. If that's the world's opinion, then let them audit me that way. Let them judge. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. And the weakness of God is stronger than men. And that, my dear friends, is the foundation of the church. The cross turns the entire, the entire world system upside down. And says, I, I will provide salvation from the one thing you despise and you would, you would never look to, 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 to release the power of salvation. That's the one way I will save you. We should talk a little bit more of that if we have time. We'll see. The goal of these sessions is to give you an idea of what I'd like to see produced. And after tonight and the next couple of sessions we have. I pray that your hunger for wisdom would deepen. That you would care about biblical wisdom. And that your hunger would become action. And that action would be prayer as we've already talked about. 
that your voices would be lifted up for wisdom, as it says in Proverbs chapter two. I have that passage here. We don't have time to read it. I leave it to you. My goal is that we, that you would pursue God's word and his ways with a new earnestness, that you would seek the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ, and that you become skilled in prayer and in the word. Spiritual education, not academic, spiritual education, mind, heart, body, that is behavior. That's a part of being a disciple of Jesus. Our brains carry a lot from the old life and are susceptible to the, the messages, the frequencies of the, the, the spirit realm of the world. We need to be bombarded constantly with the word of God. Wisdom allows that bombarding. It's, it's a place of humility. It's a place of need. It's not someone trying to be spiritual. I read my words such and such amount. It's like, no, I, this is my life. This is my bread. I hunger for this. That's wisdom. I pray that pursuit become passionate and white hot, fiery. My goal is that you would thereby seek the fullness of the spirit and become wise. Let me say just a few things about what wisdom is. We've alluded to it. I'm just going to give you a few things of what biblical wisdom is. I've already said it's a vast topic, but I'm going to target a few simple things here. Wisdom, especially coming out of the Old Testament, when we look at books like Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, Job and Psalms, the so-called wisdom literature. Wisdom refers fundamentally to skilled living according to God's ways. Wisdom, the Hebrew word in some sense simply means skill, can actually refer to a talent when the spirit of wisdom came on those that built the tabernacle and the items of the tabernacle, it said that they had wisdom. They had that, that Hebrew word, chokhmah, which was wisdom, just because they were capable of doing something. Biblical wisdom means we're capable of living life well, God's way. And you read all kinds of very specific advice in Proverbs, for instance, again, I mean, wisdom is much more than this, but it trusts in the Lord. It fears the Lord. It guards its mouth. It's fair. It doesn't have an imbalanced scale. It never cheats people. From Proverbs point of view, it's stupid to cheat. Because it's out of harmony with the way God designed life. So it's not just that it's wrong, which is pretty important. You know, I'm not diminishing the importance of right and wrong. But Proverbs says, you know, it's more than that. You're not very skilled at living if you have to cheat. Paul says, you're better. If someone sues you wrongly, you're better off being defrauded than taking a brother or sister to court. At least in the circumstances that he was talking about in 1 Corinthians 6. I mean, you want to be skilled at life in the kingdom. There's going to have to be some sacrifices, but wisdom knows there's value in doing that. Wisdom sees the value of required sacrifices in order to live well. A clear conscience is more important than a full bank account. And it's wiser to tend to our consciences than it is to tend to success by itself. Because Proverbs says that's, that, that wealth will just sprout wings and fly. 
People who live well, they live according to these bits of advice. Right? Proverbs exalts diligence and it, and it downplays and, and condemns laziness. It's like that's, if you're lazy, you're not, you're not spiritually smart. Et cetera, et cetera. These are just specific, specific examples because wisdom means skilled living according to God's ways. It begins by making covenant and then it learns God's ways from that point on. It is rooted in creation itself. Wisdom was God's companion when he created the depths, when he created the mountains, when he separated the, 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 the waters and made the expanse. It says in Proverbs chapter 8, wisdom was there, rejoicing in God's creative work. He said, wisdom says, God brought, Yahweh brought me forth before he brought forth creation. Because wisdom, in a sense, was the consultant of the Lord. Really, it was, he, wisdom was learning from the Lord. Now, this wisdom that was the, was the one who oversaw the, this creation and all of its complexities and its systems, this massive ecosystem, <clears throat> this extraordinary incomprehensible with, with the seas on our earth, 70% of which have yet to be explored. Right, Dark matter, dark energy out in space, unknown to us. We know it's there. We don't know what it is. And God just threw this thing into existence and planned this, the, the, the massive and the deep details of creation. And he says, by the same wisdom, I write Proverbs and tell you how to live. It's the same wisdom that says to keep the scales honest. Same wisdom. So you may not be a triple PhD in science. But if you learn God's ways, you're living in harmony with the same wisdom that created an incomprehensible creation. And just the lower part of creation, we haven't explored most of. And Job says those are only the fringes of his ways. And to think this high wisdom is accessible to us if we just care about what it says in the scriptures in how to live in a way that honors the Lord, that we live by that same wisdom. It's extraordinary. It's a delight to know that God loves us so much. He gives us the same wisdom that's beyond our comprehension and by which he created all things. By understanding, he created the heavens, it says. And he gives that understanding to us. We believe in Jesus and we embrace the truth and we pursue it and we get the same wisdom that created all things in its complexities. And it will bring us into seasons where we look silly to people, but at the end of the age, we will shine with the brightness of the sun. And what does it say of those people at the end of the age? Daniel tells us they will make many what? Wise. From a biblical New Testament gospel point of view, it's just not smart to die without Jesus. It's real wisdom to say, you know what? I need to humble myself and bend my knees. Wouldn't that be the wise thing to promise eternal life in a glorified body? Wisdom always keeps the eyes on the eternity. Anyway, I'm skilled living is what wisdom is. It's rooted in creation. So that this, this extraordinary, extraordinarily complex habitat that God created. He, somehow in all of its complexities, 
He gave order and made it a habitat for life. So when we live by that same wisdom, we live. We truly live with divine life. Do you understand what I'm telling you? I'm calling you. And I don't think this is where you're at anyway. So whoever might be interesting, mom, if you're watching, this is for all those watching by Facebook. I'm calling you beyond just being Christians that attend church. I got my ticket to heaven and off we go. I'm calling you into something called wisdom, living practically day to day in divine life, growing in discipleship. That's called wisdom. When we live according to biblical wisdom, we live with an even greater life force that animates all of creation. That's powerful. It's no wonder why David said your word to me is, 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 is more, is, is uh, what's more valuable than thousands of coins of gold and silver. You can't buy this. Job says that in Job 28. You can't buy this. You can't find it anywhere. It comes from Yahweh. It comes from God through Jesus Christ. And we have access to it. This is your season. Choose wisely. Wisdom plums the depths of life, as we already said. Proverbs teaches us how to walk and live in the blessed life. Promising blessing when we live wisely. It promises. Ecclesiastes gives us an honest appraisal about life on earth without Jesus, without resurrection. Psalms gives us a prayerful God orientation so that through every mountain and valley, we have language for deep cries and for singing and praise. The Psalms are included in wisdom as far as I'm concerned. And it teaches, they teach us to celebrate. They give us teaching. They give us language for lamenting when we need to lament. They give us prayers so that we see in David a man of wisdom who will still get mistreated by people and there's no quick solution. Wisdom doesn't get all pouty and say, then I quit. It's like, no, there are prayers for this. Pray it through. Come on now. Be wise. Be skilled. Go deeper. Don't be shallow. Psalms help us. They give us language for lamenting, but also for worship, for the history of Israel, for temple, for Zion. The, the, the uh, Psalms give us language for spiritual warfare. It's wisdom literature to cause us to live with skill and make something beautiful out of these lives that God has granted us. We have Job for those times that we go through inexplicable suffering, suffering that just doesn't make sense. When now, even though we know there's such a thing as warfare, which is something hidden from Job, we may not know the nature of why certain attacks are coming. And we see that even though Job wound up saying some things he shouldn't have said, at least he was still connecting with God and still not submitting to his friends that were giving him unwise counsel. Sometimes the the righteous suffer inexplicably and the immediate blessings of Proverbs are not fulfilled, but then later they will be. Teaches us how to pray in that dark time and that spiritual warfare is happening and not every time you rebuke it directly. Sometimes our yieldedness to God is wisdom enough to dispel of satanic forces when God says it's time. The fruit of wisdom is, Let me tell you a few things here about the fruit of wisdom. 
Wisdom gives us the ability to discern between good and evil, even when it's not obvious what's good and evil. Some things are clear. You obey the rules. You shall not commit adultery. You will not steal. You will not commit murder. Those are the obvious things. But some things are gray. They're not spelled out or the people are manipulating and demons are manipulating. So wisdom gives us an ability to have refined judgment in the spirit. I pray in Jesus' name that you become a house of wisdom. The fruit of wisdom is that we live life as God intended in full harmony with his design for his larger creation and especially his human creation. Wisdom gives us the ability to maintain faith, integrity, and loyalty toward God, even during dark times, when it seems in the, in the moment that God's not coming through. Wisdom knows better, even when our own emotions are saying, where's God, how long, why, why, why? You know what? Those are legitimate things to say and to feel. But wisdom will not park there. Wisdom knows sometimes we go through the valley of the shadow of death, right? That it, that's in a psalm that might be familiar. In fact, right before that, it says, what, the Lord is my shepherd, shall not want. I got to quote the whole thing or I won't get the right part. He guides me down the paths of righteousness for the sake of his name. Amen? Next verse. And even though I walk in the valley of the shadow of death, which means part of being guided by the shepherd, we're going to go through places and times where the light is shut out, at least from our eyes. And wisdom says, I'm coming through the other side. I don't care what anyone says. And I don't even care at times what my emotions say. I'm coming out of this with a table set before me in the presence of my enemies. Because that's wise living. Wisdom first fears the Lord. And it says, I'm never letting go of him. Ever. That's wise. And that gives us the power during dark times to keep up hope, to trust the Lord. And to stay loyal to him. Come on. Wisdom enables us to prepare for the future. In this life and in the next. To leave a legacy. To leave an inheritance. To leave a blessing for our children. And our children's children. Natural and or spiritual. Whatever applies. And also to be prepared. For resurrection. And rewards. At the end of the age. The fear of the Lord means I'm aware I will stand before the judgment seat of Christ, even as a believer. And according to Paul in Romans 15, 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, we will be rewarded according to our works. Wisdom has no problem with that and does not confuse it with legalism. Wisdom calls that the fear of the Lord. God reserves the right to judge. And the quality of our eternity will be determined by our loyalty now. Wisdom embraces this and penetrates the limits of this life into eternity. And it says, thank you, Lord, for giving me the opportunity to know ahead of time the test that's coming at the end. I've given you the answers now, wisdom says. Prepare, prepare. We had a teacher in college that allowed us to cheat. He said, if you could prepare one cheat sheet, I'll let you bring it in. It was a sociology class. Most people needed it. 
He says, I'm giving you an opportunity. If you prepare the sheet, you can bring it in. Look, if the professor gives you that opportunity, why does anyone get anything other than an A in that class? One dude prepared, because he says it's got to be on one sheet, one side. That's my only stipulation. One dude brought in like a poster board. I'm not kidding. And the professor was like, good for you. Now, you may not think the, the professor should have done that, and you might be right, but if you're the students, it's like, then make a cheat sheet, man. Who would not stay up? And, and we knew where to get the answers in the textbook, the whole thing. I mean, it wasn't word for word, but we knew generally what to do. Anyone could prepare a cheat sheet and do it well. Who would not do that? Right? We, wisdom allows us to prepare for the test at the end of the age now. It does not waste this time. And this wisdom finally has been fulfilled in the new covenant. We have God's fullest revelation in Christ for salvation and effective kingdom life. We have the Holy Spirit. We have this book. We have everything we need, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, for life and godliness. He says, develop these virtues. They will render you neither useless nor unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and they will give you entrance into his eternal kingdom. We have everything we need. The wisdom of God in the new covenant has been manifest most poignantly, clearly, and expressly in the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross, which is the contradiction of this entire world system, it is the exact opposite of anything the world would call valuable or effective for any kind of salvation. And yet somehow the cross is God's wisdom to bring salvation. 1 Corinthians 1 through 4. How could this Jew, stripped of his clothing and his dignity, hanging on a stick, be the secret to save the soul of any man or woman in any nation, in any generation. How is that possible? Because only God knows the complexity of the human person. Only God knows the depth of evil of human sin. Only God knows the power of death. Only God knows what's needed for our salvation. Only God's wisdom. And it was found in the precious blood of a man who is the eternal son of God, but also a sinless human being. And somehow that fusion of a sinless man who is fully human and yet divine, fully God, somehow that qualified him to condemn sin. God had the wisdom to do that and he had the love to make it happen. Romans chapter eight, verse three. What the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. What the law could not do, weak as it was through our flesh, God did, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. How do you condemn sin? Sin is, is abstract. It's like a law court convening and, you know, we've condemned criminals. But I have an idea. Let's just condemn crime. 
and get rid of crime. We'll send it to the electric chair. It's like you can't condemn crime. It's not a person. It's a, it's a thing. It's an entity. It's a spirit. It's an attitude. It's, you can't grab it. How can you solve a problem like Maria? How can you pin a, what, catch a cloud and pin it down? And You can't grab criminality. You can only condemn criminals. Well, Jesus was not a criminal and he wasn't a sinner, but somehow he embodied sin. It says in 1 Peter 2 that he bore our sins in his body. Somehow, he, God condemned sin in Christ's flesh. Romans 8, 2 Corinthians 5. God made him who knew no sin to be sin. So that we would become the righteousness of God. Christ delivered us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. He became a curse. He became sin. He personified sin, and God allowed him to be slain. And that was the solution for our salvation. No wisdom would ever plumb that depth and figure that out. But God did. The cross of Christ is the wisdom of God. And then it becomes a lifestyle a standard and a guide for the way we live in love and in sacrifice and in humility, not defending ourselves every chance we get, pushing our own agenda, but doing God's agenda. That's the cross. That's the center of wisdom. That's why Paul, through those same chapters in 1 Corinthians, calls it the wisdom of God. It might be foolishness to the world, but it's God's wisdom. For us, it's the power of God. And the wisdom of God. Praise God. And that's the wisdom that builds God's house. Praise God. Well, let's, let's stand and pray. Something very, very special. God's doing something very, very sweet and special in every heart here. The scriptures give the wisdom that lead us to salvation. If you are here and you are not even confident that you've yielded to God and given Jesus your life and surrendered to him, you could cry out to God and begin your, your journey of wisdom, which is life itself, to live well, frankly, to live at all. You can begin that journey by giving your life to Jesus right here and now. That's wisdom. You don't have to live one more day of foolishness, not one more second. Give your life to Jesus. There's others of us here who are very confident. We're believers in Jesus. We know we're saved. And and yet we have not been in pursuit, pursuit of wisdom or gaining and acquiring wisdom and living well. I'm asking God right now to help us and stir us that we might repent and get on the pathway of wisdom. Say, I don't know what to do. It just you know, be like that kid that didn't know anything, just on the side of his bed with his Bible open, trying his best. God will meet you. Wisdom is accessible. Don't ignore the truth of the gospel. Don't ignore what's in the scriptures and in the house of God. Let's access these things. Father, in Jesus' name, we are so grateful for your extraordinary generosity that you would not spare your own son, but you gave him up for us all. 
and that you, you generously give wisdom to those that ask. You're generous. You are faithful. You are not faithless. We, we, we cannot pray with faith for wisdom and have you not answer. It's impossible. We're grateful for your faithfulness and your sensitivity to our hearts to care and to give wisdom when we ask. And so we do ask right now. And I invite you all, you know, we, you just lift your voice as you wish and just begin to ask God right now as you wish. Abba, I'm asking you for more wisdom. I lack wisdom. As I live life, the new challenges, I, there's, there's, it's so clear. There's less I know what to do. There's situations I don't know what to do. Well, praise God, this gives me an opportunity to ask you for wisdom and to gain wisdom. So I'm asking you for wisdom. I'm asking you for a real skill in walking the Jesus way. The way of wisdom, the way of forgiveness, the way of meekness, the way of joy, the way of integrity, the way of righteousness, the way of mercy. Grant us your wisdom, God. The treasures of wisdom hidden in Christ. We pray, dispense them, Lord, as we ask in Jesus' name. The secret of the Lord is for those who fear him. And he will make them know his covenant. Lord, may we be found as your friends in counsel with you. Reveal your secrets, God. We want to feel your love. We want to be built up in our faith. We want to be, or we want to walk worthily of the calling with which we have been called. So grant us your secrets right now, Lord. There's a people here that you're targeting for wisdom. I ask for you to pour out the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Grant wisdom, God. Grant wisdom on our jobs. Grant wisdom at school. Grant wisdom in our neighborhoods and in our families, God. We pray for order and life that comes from the wisdom that you implemented to create all things. Pour out your spirit, Father God. Raise up a people in this place and in this generation, Lord. Change lives from glory to glory into increasing degrees of Christ-likeness. In Jesus' name.